Welcome to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, bringing you honest talk, even when it bites. Now on 77 WABC, here are your hosts, Alex Alexanian and Brenda Bush. Morning, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Alex Alexanian at the microphone on this soggy morning in New York City with my co-host Brenda Bush. Morning, folks. My God, was it, I mean, was that rain or was that rain yesterday? Oh torrential downpours we have flooding all around new york again everywhere and it was tough getting get it was tough getting yeah. here yeah, we mean, could take like three alternate routes but we made it yeah i mean like <laughs> half the highways were blocked they were all flooded yeah all flooded mm-hmm. but anyway we're here i hope you're there um we're at the uh, wabc morning. studios get and that umbrella and take the dogs out it's not raining now yeah it stopped now it stopped yeah it's not. Mm-hmm. as soon as the show comes on the air the rain stops that's just one of the little deals that we have you know because the dogs only take over for one hour every week, and we have a deal with and you know this is who. It. Yeah. So anyway, well, our number is one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We have a tremendous show today. We're going to be talking about one of the most controversial organizations in the world, PETA. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a hot show. This one's really gotten people fired up. And, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's no matter just, where where you fall on e- either side, this is a show you got to listen to. We've got some great guests lined up. We're going to talk about their ideology. We're going to talk about their philosophy of companion animals, their kill save rates, and marketing strategy. Absolutely, and it's uh, if you don't know what PETA stands for, it's People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And I don't think there are many a, people out there these days who don't know what that stands for. This is true, and they've I mean they've been a, a, they a made a mark. fixture. Yeah in the uh, animal rights movement uh, for over 25 years, and we're going to have their spokesperson on the, on the phone with us, as well as uh, another guest. Uh, so we have a really jam-packed session, and we're going to be sort of uh, trying to figure out, PETA, is it just radical or is it radically right? But before we get into that, we're going to talk about our walkathon. The walkathon is four weeks from today, Brenda. Sunday, May 15th. Four weeks from FDR today. FDR Park in Yorktown Heights, New York. Exactly. And what exactly is the walkathon? Well, the Walkathon is our one fundraising event for Dogs in Danger. You know, we run a website, dogsindanger.com, that has been incredibly successful in saving, oh, I think we're over 50,000 dogs from death now. And we do one fundraising event. It's going to be four weeks from today, and it is looking like an amazing event. We got over 1,000 responses to our email last yeah, week to it was our really, supporters. Really, really uh, heartwarming, all the outpouring of support that we got. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable that uh, we got a thousand responses. We got hundreds of registrations already. We have four weeks to go. We're going to have uh, some of the prettiest girls that I've ever seen. Anyway, the, uh, Gwen Goya and uh, Gia Aleman. Now these names are not they're yeah, they're, they're you, tough. You, you made sure we got the girls there, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean they they were they were on the Bachelor this in season. In case in case the men out there think that um, you know the the animal causes is predominated is dominated by women. There you go. Listen, if you want to get a beautiful girl, get into the animal cause, okay? That's just a hint from a guy that's out of circulation. <laughs> anyway, so um, so that's the, that's the, the walkathon. You guys have to join us. It's going to be an amazing event. I mean, you're really going to be something. Um, it's uh, about 40 miles north, directly north of New York City. If you've got a car, it's only it's a 45-minute ride. Yeah. yeah, it's nothing. We had some people write to us from Brooklyn and say, we can't possibly make it that far. Well, there's no subway <laughs> service, okay? <laughs> 45 minutes, that's about Yeah, 45 it. minutes, FDR Park. Go to the website, www.dogsindanger.com. There's a huge article on it right on the homepage. You see the girls anyway. If, if you just want to see what these beautiful women look like, you've really got to go to the website, www. Dogsindanger.com. I'm not going to talk too much more about this because we're, we have such an amazing show coming up. So we're going to be cutting to commercial. And when we come back, we're going to have our first guest on. I'm Brenda Bush, co-founder of Dogs in Danger. For those of us who live with these special creatures, we understand that they're so much more than just dogs. They're faithful companions to the end. They remind us every day that life is precious and brief, full of fleeting joys and missed opportunities. Each year in this country, millions of homeless dogs are killed in shelters. There is a better way, and Dogs in Danger is working to get us there. It's the last chance for these dogs. Dogs in Danger makes it personal, with names and faces of dogs on death row, and brings us all face-to-face with a painful reality. More than 45,000 dogs have been saved with the assistance of Dogs in Danger, but we still have a long way to go. So please, open your heart and wallet to one of the thousands of dogs waiting for a second chance at life. Visit dogsindanger.com and click donate to help us stop the needless killing of our best friends. Do it now before they run out of time. 
When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Barkable Radio, the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Well, we're back live from the studios of 77 WABC in New York, and we're going to start talking about PETA and just a couple of the bare facts about the people for the ethical treatment of animals, PETA. Um, it's 2009 revenues were $39 million. $39 million, they don't sell anything. So that's $39 million in revenues from just donations that's from annual. people. Yeah, yeah, that's annual. That's annual. That ranks them just about number three in terms of uh, the largest animal rights organizations in the country from a perspective of revenues. Um, tremendous numbers coming in. Ingrid Newkirk is their president, their founder. She's been there since day number one. Her salary, believe it or not, is 37700 Not much. Fairly insignificant number. Yeah. Um, so that says a lot about the organization's philosophy that their and president and founder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have, by the way, 300 employees, of which uh, Miss Newkirk is one of them, and she's only making a little under $38,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Headquarters in Virginia. Huge yeah. building. Huge building. If you compare it to the CEOs of the, the number one and number two organizations, uh, I mean, they, they're basically a multiple of her salary. I think yeah. that the head of the ASPCA is in the $200,000 league. So just to give you an idea about the, the philosophy, the, the strict philosophy that the organization follows, and to talk about uh, a little deeper about this, we're going to bring in uh, Professor Gary Francione uh, on the phone with us. Gary is a professor of law and philosophy at Rutgers School of Law. Uh, she, he's author of numerous books and articles on animal rights theory and animals and the law, and founder of the abolitionistapproach.com. Professor uh, Francione, are you with us this morning? Uh, I am indeed. May I ask you a question before we get started? Sure. When, when, you, when you all are in the studio at this time in the morning, um, do you find that, you, that you, you, you start praying that your guests are going to actually call in because it's such an ungodly hour of the morning? I, actually, I start the prayers the day before we get to the studio. <laughs> How do you know this business so well, Gary? <laughs> we get we have the religion on the line, folks, standing by yes, doing some okay. prayers for us. <laughs> Last week we were walking out of the building, and uh, and there was Governor Patterson standing there in the lobby of uh, ABC's headquarters here in New York because he and, was co-hosting last week for Religion on the Line. he's, yeah. he's becoming okay. a regular fill-in for them. Yeah. And uh, and you know, and we know the governor from another couple of meetings that that we had had in, in other other occasions, and so. We, we started chatting a little bit, and I looked at the governor, and now you're talking, it's not even 7 o'clock yet, right? We're, because we get off the air at 7, uh, so it's a little after 7, sorry. And I look at the governor, and he's fully dressed. I mean, he's got a suit and a tie, and he's crisp and shaven. He's ready to go. You do not want to see what great. You we don't look see like. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God there's no cameras in, in the studios when we roll out of bed and come in here. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. we got a whole... A whole uh, Line of questions. Here we go. So we're going we're gonna to dissect PETA as much as we can in the short amount of time we have, uh, Professor Francione. So the first question I want to say is a very brief and short. Has PETA been effective in moving forward the cause of animals? Well, they've certainly gotten uh, the idea of, uh, of, of animal protection uh, into the public consciousness. They've been responsible for that in many ways. And, uh, and I don't think we can, uh, we can deny that. But at the same time, they've been counterproductive uh, in many, many ways. Uh, and, and, you know, I think actually, you know, to focus on PETA is great, but I think we have to sort of, as a general matter, understand where PETA's coming from. And in order to understand where PETA's coming from, you have to understand where the animal protection movement's coming from. You go back 200 years ago. 
to the founding of the animal welfare movement, you see this idea that it's all right for us to use animals as long as we treat them all right. Uh, as long as we treat them humanely, it's all right for us to use them. That animals don't have an interest in continuing to live. They only have an interest in being treated well while they're here and being killed in a humane way. Now, you can say that's a crazy idea, but that's an idea mm-hmm. that is, is very much at the center of Peter Singer's work, for example. And I would maintain that it's an idea that completely dominates the animal protection movement in 2011 and certainly dominates the thinking of PETA. That is, that the, 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 the problem is suffering, the problem is not killing. Animals don't have an interest in continuing to live. It's all right for us to, 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 to kill them. That, that, that killing them is not harming them per se, as long as we kill them in a relatively painless way. And I think that that idea is responsible for a lot of mischief. It leads to the soft peddling of veganism to the extent that, they, that these groups even, even promote veganism in any effective way. Uh, they soft peddle veganism as simply a way of reducing suffering, and it leads to mischief in the, in the sense of PETA killing, what, 90, 95% of the animals that it takes in uh, at its Norfolk facility. And, and let me say this, that's not a new thing for PETA. I mean, uh, you know, I used to work with PETA in the 1980s, and into the 1990s, uh, I, I knew Ingrid uh, Newkirk and Alex Pacheco very well, and uh, there were there were a couple of reasons why I stopped working with them. One was the rampant sexism of their campaigns, but the other reason was that uh, this this dispute we had about whether or not it was all right to kill animals as long as you kill them in a painless way. And in the 1990s, PETA had a no-kill shelter. My recollection is it was called Aspen Hill. I actually wrote about it in one of my books, and um, and they were killing. I think. There were rabbits and roosters that uh, that they had taken in. Uh, they had killed a bunch of healthy rabbits and roosters, and we had a big dispute about that as to whether or not it was all right to kill healthy animals uh, if you did so painlessly. And I take the position that to say that animals don't have an interest in continuing to live, and that it's that that killing them is per se not a harm is a problem and i think that um, that that we ought to be too, we ought to be clear those of us who care about animals those of us who believe that animals are not resources and things for us to use ought to be clear about two things one is if you really believe that we have no business treating them as resources, then we've got to stop eating them. And you can't draw this distinction between flesh and dairy. You can't be promoting happy meat and happy animal exploitation, as unfortunately PETA and many of the other organizations do, or give awards to slaughterhouse designers, as PETA has done. You can't do that sort of stuff because it makes no sense, and it's fundamentally immoral, and it's counterproductive. It encourages people to continue to exploit animals. And we ought to put a lot of time and energy into getting homes for animals, encouraging people to spay and neuter their animals, do whatever we can to stop breeding, not breeding particular, uh, you know, not breed bands, but, but stopping the breeding of animals altogether. And we ought to put our time into saving all the animals we can, and I intend to spend a good deal of my, uh, my time in the coming period of my life to dealing with the horrible problem in New York City and animal care and control and mm-hmm. the horrible numbers of animals that are killed every single day there. It's a completely irrational system. It's got to be changed. Absolutely. However, to Absolutely. answer your original question, uh, yeah, Peter's done some good things, but you know what? With that sort of budget, those, that number of employees and, and going for as long as it's going, I hope they've done something. Um, and, and I do think that they've gotten animal issues into public consciousness, but at the same time, I think they've promoted this very, very destructive idea that, um, that it's all right to exploit animals uh, as long as you do so compassionately or, you know, I mean, you know. Well, and idea. they've lost, and, and for those who are just waking up and joining us, by the way, we're talking to Professor Gary Francione on the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, and we're talking about people for the ethical treatment of animals. Um, you know, I, I think it's a long stretch for a lot of people who genuinely care about animals that, that harming, killing an animal is not harming it. And that's where they've lost a lot of people. And, uh, and I think, you know, according to the, the documents, just for 2010 that I checked uh, with the Department of uh, Agriculture in Virginia, in 2010 they took in 792 dogs, killed 693 of them. So uh, just for last year, that's an 88% kill rate, which is horrendous compared to all the areas around it. But and Professor Francione, I, I mean, in most of the issues, it seems like your, your writings, your abolitionist philosophy is pretty well aligned with those of PETA's. No, so, no, actually, it's not true. Well, what, in what way? Well, to not use them, not, not, you know, if you just follow the mission statement of PETA, right? Animals are not ours to eat, to wear, to experiment on, or use for entertainment. You'd agree with that, right? Oh, absolutely. But, but if you say, but, if, but the problem is, is if you say that, and at the same time you're giving awards to slaughterhouse designers, you're giving awards to Whole Foods and claiming that they're, you know, they're great mm-hmm. on animal 
welfare. Uh, it, when you're when you're telling people, don't worry. When you go into a restaurant, if there's uh, if there are some animal products in what you're eating, don't insist that things be cooked on a separate grill. Don't worry, you know. I mean, don't sweat the details. And at the same time, you're killing that number of animals. Then I think the message gets terribly confused. I mean, mm-hmm. the the one thing that's clear to me is we must be clear about what the moral baselines of this of this enterprise. You know, of, of, so, of what but wait, wait a second. Now, aren't you saying that they're not radical enough for you? Well, they're not strict enough in their interpretation, well, but he I thinks mean, they're radical. radical. The, the word radical, I mean, goes to, if you want, it, 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 that's right, that's correct. I don't think that they're really challenging. I don't think that they are challenging the paradigm of exploitation in a fundamental, radical way and saying, no, there are certain moral baselines here. We can't eat them, use them, wear them, and we should do everything we can. We should stop bringing all domesticated animals into existence, but we have a moral obligation to care for the ones that are here as a result of our selfishness and our speciesism. And I think that they've really got to, and I think they have failed, to sort of address that that fundamental radical position of shifting the paradigm away from animals as property towards animals as persons. Okay, and I, so, and I, so, so uh, the first thing that you, you have a problem with, PETA, is that uh, you think that mission state is good, but they're just not radical enough because they've watered it down to, to such an extent that they're really not uh, not putting the focus on the right places at this point. They've become such a media tactic. Well, I mean, if you look at them, I mean, look, Alex, mission statements, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you go to the, the website of the Department of Defense, you know, they probably got a great mission statement. Um, I mean, you know, any, any organization has got a great of mission course. statement. The, of the course. question is, what, what are their actual campaigns? What are their actual right. policies? And I think that in that respect, uh, Pete has fallen down on the job. I think their sexism, the sexism in their campaigns is just absolutely horrible. I mean, now, wait, wait, let's, is, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, okay? Yeah. Now, their campaigns. Now, their controversials, their tactics are radical. Uh, Miss Newkirk has many, many times, times said that they're basically media sluts, okay? Uh-huh. Is, so, but isn't that what it takes today? I mean, to get the attention with 500 cable channels going at you at the same time, uh, and you're talking about animals that most people don't give a damn about, um, I, isn't I that what it takes? I, 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 actually, I actually disagree with you. I mean, I disagree. I think, that, I think that there are many, many people out there who do care. And, and, you know, I just, I mean, I, it, it's a, it, I, when I got up this morning um, and I, I logged on to my computer, I had three messages that I, had, that I got from people who listened to my interview on Citizen Radio a couple of weeks ago in which I said, look, if you care about animals, stop all this nonsense about, you know, happy meat and cage-free eggs and all this and just go vegan. I had three emails this morning from people who said, you know, I listened to your, to your radio interview. I was not a vegan before. I am now becoming a vegan. So I think there are a lot of people out there who are educable, and I think there are a lot of people out there who care. I think there are tons of people out there who care, who need to be educated about how, how their caring should be manifested. As far as when you talk about media sluts and, and whatnot, the bottom line is, if what you're going to do is play to the media, then you're never going to get anywhere, because the media is reactionary. That's why we have things like Citizen Radio or Democracy Now!, because the media is basically reactionary. Uh, it's largely corporate-controlled. And all it's going to do is reflect the status quo. And if anybody thinks that anybody's going to be educated about animal exploitation by, by you know, people going naked rather than wearing fur or, or all of this, you know, all, I mean, look, the bottom line is as long as we're continuing to treat women like meat, we're going to continue to treat animals like meat. The problem is commodification. We're not going to solve the problem of commodification by continuing commodification. We've got to be radical. And radical means promoting the paradigm of animals as persons in a creative, nonviolent way, and I am absolutely certain, absolutely certain to the depths of my soul, that through creative, nonviolent vegan education, we could change the world. You take an organization like PETA, how many employees do you, th- do you say? The 300? 300, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 300, huge organization. I'm sure they have a lot of talented people there, a lot of energy. Put that energy into creative, nonviolent vegan education, unequivocal, clear vegan education. No meat, no dairy, no eggs, no cheese, no honey no happy any of those products and and you know what can you imagine what would happen to their kill rate if they use some of their celebrities or they use some of their 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 uh, uh, tremendous talent with their young people there in terms of getting those animals homes if they shifted away from this idea that 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 killing an animal 
painlessly or relatively painlessly is not imposing a harm and they got out there and tried to get homes for those animals can you imagine i mean they wouldn't have mm -hmm. the, the the kill rate that they have and you know what for every single one of those animals it matters because all they have is their lives and they care about their lives just like we care about our lives and we've got to get away from this species this notion you, you know one of mm -hmm. you said before that it's absurd that you know people out there are saying it's absurd to say that killing an animal is not imposing a harm well the bottom line is the so-called father of the animal rights movement peter singer that's what he maintains in his philosophy he basically says that animals don't have an interest in continuing to live because they're not self-aware mm -hmm. and that is that's the that's the fundamental distinction between it's one of the, one of the distinctions but it's a fundamental distinction between my work and peter's work is that i maintain that if you're sentient you by definition what it means to be sentient is you have an interest in continuing to live whether or not you can recognize yourself in a mirror that doesn't matter that's just one way of understanding self-awareness and to say that that's the only form of self-awareness that's morally relevant is speciesist so, uh, I, I, I agree with you professor i agree but you got to admit at the same time you got to admit that the world is a better place because of PETA than without PETA. i mean just think about the world before PETA came on the scene think about the aspc and the humane association basically and uh well let's say not the great not the best job that they were doing okay the aspca had the contract to kill dogs in New York for a hundred years, just about. I mean, this was what the, what the Ingrid came into. So you've got to admit that it's a. It, they could maybe they, maybe they could be better. Maybe the message has gotten screwed up along the way somehow. Uh, maybe Miss Newkirk has. Uh, Alex, I was I worked with PETA from the early 1980s till about 93 or 94, and so I thought you know that obvious. I mean, I I wouldn't have spent my time. Uh, uh, and, you know, Anna and I spent a lot of time working with them uh, for a long time. I mean, uh, you know, for many years of our lives, we worked with them. Uh, and when so, did you part? ways i'm sorry what, what what year did you part did you guys part ways oh i don't know 90 i was probably about 94 93 94 and they were founded uh, what over, in 89 over, over the aspen hill situation and over mm -hmm. over sexism um and things like that um you, you know we, we 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 parted we parted company and and so yeah i think in the beginning it was a great idea the problem is as it got larger and as it as it tried you know when you want when, if you want your donor base to be big the one thing that you have to do is to make sure that you never ask your donors to do anything that's difficult or that is challenging so you know i mean i, I saw an interview with dan matthews of PETA a couple years ago in which he said half of the members of PETA are vegetarian didn't even use the word vegan half are vegetarian the other half think it's a good idea so so what they're, what they're actually happy with is a donor base where half of their members aren't even, you know, half of their members are omnivores and the other half are vegetarians. I don't even know what that means because as far as I'm concerned, if you're eating dairy, you're just, you know, that's just a different form of being an omnivore, really. I mean, I don't really see a difference between flesh and dairy. And, and, um, and so, you know, do I think that they've done some good? I think that they did a lot of good in the beginning, uh, but I think they've now fostered a tremendous amount of confusion to the point where people think that animal rights is going and buying cage-free eggs at Whole Foods because PETA gives awards to Whole Foods or eating a hamburger at McDonald's because the cow was slaughtered in a, in a slaughterhouse. Yeah, but, but in that, any that social was, movement, isn't it incremental change? Exactly. It's baby steps. Uh, but, but wait a minute. It, 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 you can't, there's a difference when we talk about incremental change. Um, you don't get incremental change to end slavery. Um, you know, you have to have a paradigm shift that ends right. slavery. And once you end slavery, you can have incremental changes which make civil rights better and better and better. And I, I mean, I think we definitely need to do that because we've fallen down in civil rights and women's rights uh, and children's rights and rights of gay people as well. However, I don't think that, you know, I, I, the bottom line is, look, Let's be cost effective. I mean, we've got limited time and limited resources. You know, today might be the last day of my life. Should I spend my time today talking to people about whether they should eat cage-free eggs or should I spend my time talking about whether they should be eating no eggs at all? And my view is, is let's be clear, let's be unequivocal, let's be radical, let's shift the paradigm. And the only way we're going to really see any change, look, I mean, we've been, how long, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and I don't really see it getting a hell of a lot better. As a matter of fact, I think the most insidious development that we have seen in the past decade is this happy meat movement. We're now everybody thinks that the solution is 
let's get you know let's get a little bit more cage and you know let's get a little bit more space in the batteries uh, you know let's go to cage free which is like going from from wire cages to one huge shed cage um, you know it's like putting padding on the on the waterboards that they use at Guantanamo Bay and people think that this is you know this is what animal rights animal rights has become happy exploitation and I think that's it's insidious, and I think it's moving things back. And, and, and the idea of a movement is it moves forward. And from what I can see, the animal protection movement is moving backward. And I think the Happy Meat movement, at which Pete has been, Pete has been basically at the center of that, giving awards to Whole Foods, mm-hmm. giving awards mm-hmm. to Temple Grandin, right, right. Uh, you know, promoting. You know, I mean, I just saw a couple days ago. Uh, you know, they put out some some blog essay saying, "Don't worry if you you know if there are small amounts of animal products in in things that you're consuming, don't sweat." The details. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the answer is, you know, would we say the same thing about any other, about any other rights violation? Would we say, hey, you know, just because somebody's got like a couple of child porn magazines, you know, they used to have 50. Now they've got, you know, five. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, 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 that's okay. All right. I got, um, I, I got you. The he's child, good with the metaphors. Yeah, the he's child good. porn and slavery did it for me. But you know what? You want to you hang on because we're going to be bringing on um, our next guest, Ashley Gonzalez, who is from PETA, who is Why the wouldn't they do the, 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 the did, did they at least have the option of doing a debate? Uh, we did not offer it that no, way. No, we did not offer it that way, honestly. Okay. No, we didn't want it that way because we wanted clarity. We didn't want to dialogue back and forth. It becomes a mess. But why don't you hang on and see what we can do? All right. All right, then. Talk to you soon. Okay, we'll be right we'll be back. be listening to the show. We'll be right back, okay? Right now, thousands of wonderful dogs are in shelters waiting for families. Meanwhile, puppy mills breed tens of thousands of puppies each year to be sold in pet stores or over the Internet for profit. Dogs in puppy mills never feel the touch of a kind hand or grass under their paws. They're forced to have litter after litter to produce puppies for sale in pet stores at high prices. At the same time, many dogs lose their lives in shelters because people choose to buy rather than adopt their pet. Best Friends is working with you and with Humane groups all across the country to bring about a time when every animal has a loving home and there are no more homeless pets. Through their puppy mill incentive, thousands of dogs have been rescued from lives of suffering and have become part of loving families. And you can help save even more. Text the word DOG to 90999 to give $5 to Best Friends Animal Society and help save the life of a puppy mill dog. Together, we can make the dream of no more homeless pets come true. Message and data rates may apply. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR. And it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Throw your dog a bone. Let him listen to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour on 77 WABC. Back to Alex and Brenda. We're back. The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour, and we're talking about PETA. And uh, nobody better to discuss that with than Ashley Gonzalez, our next um, guest. She's media specialist for the people for the ethical treatment of animals. Ashley, are you with us this morning? Yes, I am. How are you? Great. Good, Good morning. morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So is it true you got up at 4.30 as you do every morning today? <laughs> um, actually, she slept through. <laughs> my, my eight-month-old baby slept through the oh, morning. Oh, wow. The Congratulations. It's a big day for you. <laughs> yes. And yes, then we walk you. you up on top of that. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, uh, Ashley, um, I don't know if you heard the, uh, the interview we just had with Professor Francione. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different track. Uh, I know that uh, PETA is almost synonymous with the philosophies of uh, Ingrid Newkirk, 
And I'd yeah. like to start with a uh, with just a few quotes that we've gathered off of the internet, and uh, maybe we could uh, address each one of these quotes as we go along, okay. uh, if you don't mind. Audio they're very, clips from audio Ingrid clips. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're audio clips from Ingrid, and she's the president. She's the founder of PETA, and she's really the the, the voice of PETA in in a certain general the driving sense, force, the driving force, <laughs> and um, the spirit of PETA. So let's start with. Uh, can we hear cut number three? Our goal is total animal liberation and the day when everyone believes that animals are not ours to eat, not ours to wear, not ours to experiment, and not ours for entertainment or any other exploitive purpose. Now, Ashley, do you agree? Obviously, you're a spokesperson for them, so you're going to be defending that position. But many of us agree with many parts of her goals or of the statement we just heard. But very few people I know out there will agree with all of her goals. They seem very, very strict. Um, Has PETA actually become the philosophy of one woman? Well, I believe we all agree with her that animals are not ours to use for any purpose, like she said, for food, entertainment, for clothing, for medical testing. And when you look at all of the overwhelming evidence that when animals are used in these capacities, their needs are always second priority. We have to take into consideration our role in that and decide that we aren't going to use them. Um, and I believe that everyone at the company, regardless of you know background or anything, agrees with her on that. And I think we all can when, when you look at the abuse that animals suffer for all these industries. And you don't think that the extraordinarily radical position, for example, I mean, what do I mean by radical? I think that we all agree on this side of the of the fence that animals should not be eaten and, and, and killed and, uh, you know, all the, the mess that goes on with shelters. However, uh, what about something like uh, not wearing leather? Okay, let's talk about something that uh, that's, seems more innocuous. Uh, you guys well, all... Well, I mean, the, the reasons why people don't wear leather should be the same reasons why they wouldn't eat a cow. Uh, leather is actually a co-product of the meat industry, and those, those cows whose throats are being cut while they're completely conscious, those same cows who live in their own feces for you know their entire lives, those are the same cows that are being used to make leather shoes as are being used to make a hamburger at McDonald's. If you wouldn't eat a burger... Don't wear leather shoes. And, and really, you know, a lot of leather comes from India, um, and it's illegal to kill cows in many parts of India. So these animals are walked for miles. Um, they're tired. Many of them are injured, and their tails are broken. Chili peppers are rubbed in, into their eyes to get them to stand up and keep moving. You know, we've worked with so many companies to get them to stop using leather source from India, but it is still a major source of that. And if you don't want to uh, contribute to that cruelty, just forego the animal product altogether. And and what about if if I was to say how about we pass the law that allowed only leather to come out of animals that died naturally? Would you guys then be in favor of it even though a, a pair of shoes would be 5000 bucks? Well, you know, that's that's an idealistic approach to take, I suppose. But um, but right now, I think we, we really do have to look at the fact that, that, that that's not the way it is. People are using the leather that comes from just abused so it's the abuse that's the problem. Animals. It's just, I, I mean, that that's something we'd probably consider if there was no animal suffering down the road. It's, it's certainly something to think about. But right now we're faced with the issue of, you know, millions of cows being killed in the United States every year. The industry that supports in- it. Mm-hmm. It's easy for people to forget that the leather comes from a real animal. I think, you know, and the industry does a good job of hiding that. You know, I've always been of the of the mindset that if people had to actually kill the animal they put on their plate, a whole lot less people would be eating meat. Um, But but that's not the reality of it. That's a great point. Uh, our uh, one of our vice presidents, Bruce Friedrich, often makes that point in debates. You know, saying that essentially you're contracting this kind of killing out. If you wouldn't kill this animal yourself, why are you paying someone else to do it for you? Mm-hmm. Totally agree with you. Let's let's cut. We have so many different uh, areas to cover, that, Ashley. That we're going to move on to. Uh, let's get cut number one plate. We've been doing a lot of stories on PETA over the years. I just you know things will come up. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand. What's your position on pet ownership? Um, I think that it's fabulous if you have the time, the patience, the love, and can go to the shelter and rescue not one but two so they can keep each other company when you're at work or at school. 
Okay, so that's again the voice of Ingrid Newkirk, and she's the president and the founder of um, of PETA. So the great majority of homes take uh, very good care of their their companion animals. We know that, right? What I mean, the the, the abusers are are. Well, a I minority. think PETA might argue with that. Well, but, okay. no, come on. Most most Americans are not bad people. A lot of people take really good care right. Of their they animals take decent c- good care of their animals. What makes you think that a companion animal would choose starving for food in the cold, fearing for their lives than, uh, rather than staying in a warm, secure home? Because at the underlying what. What Inger is really talking about here is the underlying issue here is that at the end of the day, PETA would like to see a world without pet ownership, without pets in our homes, correct? Well, I think the the underlying issue there is we want to see a world that doesn't breed animals specifically for our own use. We've got 8 million animals being dropped off in shelters every year. 4 million of them are going to be euthanized because there simply aren't enough homes to go around. And this is because people continue to support breeders. They continue to go to the pet store and buy that cute little fluffy puppy or that cute little kitten. But in the, at the end of the day, there's a dog or a cat languishing in a shelter because we there just aren't enough homes to go around. And until we stop breeding animals for our own enjoyment, animals are going to continue to suffer. I, I think that that's the underlying issue there. Well, um, but if you have no breeding and you have no, if you have zero births and no breeding, what's the logical conclusion to having any kind of companion animals, dogs, well, for example? Well, that problem won't be an issue for a long time. There are so many animals out there who need good homes, millions and millions in the United States alone. Um, and so... When we get to that bridge, we'll certainly we'll certainly cross that bridge when we get to it. But uh, but right now, the issue is the millions of animals who need good homes right now, and continuing to breed animals is just going to continue to force shelters to euthanize adoptable, loving animals who could make great companions. And you know, most people would consider their their companion animals to be almost like their children. I I mm-hmm. would think most of the people that I know, at least, Thanks. you know, love their animals so much, and they they you know, give them a great home. And, and so if you have the resources and the time and the money to spend, you know, like Ingrid said, it's it's a great thing to go out to a shelter and adopt an animal, maybe adopt two if you have the means so that they do have company. It's, it's a it's a great way to, to give them a better life. Totally agree with you. Um, let me ask you this question, though. Let's say just like we talked about, the, you know, the, the leather issue. What if I had the magic button that, that uh, made uh, the supply-demand equation balance out perfectly, okay? So there was just... Just only animals produced for the number of homes that wanted to have an animal. So you had this magic balancing button, okay? And so all the shelters went out of business because you you bred them as requested by good homes who came in and passed the PETA test for being a good home. Would you guys be in favor of breeding then? I want to know where this magic button is. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think Staples sells one. <laughs> little plug for Staples yeah, there. Right. They did not pay I us for that endorsement, that. by the way. Um, you know... Again, that, that's something that we would have to consider if we got to that point, I suppose. But so at you're the not, end of the day, I don't, I don't think that animals necessarily want to be here for our own enjoyment. They're, we can all agree that they're sentient beings. Like, uh, like Francine was saying, a sentient being is someone who is self-aware, and they understand that they have their own needs, their own wants. So in, in that situation, if, you know, if breeding was not an issue, if overpopulation was not an issue, and killing you know, was not we, an issue. We would have to consider those animals' needs and wants. Animals want to have families of their own. They want to live their own lives. I'm sure that they have their own interests. So it, it's something we would definitely have to consider. So, well, and so there are many that, in the movement, but there are many in the movement um, who believe that there's not really a, a, the overpopulation problem, and that it's really more of a distribution problem, and that that organizations out there aren't doing enough to find animals' homes. So well, that's, I, that's a whole nother show. But um, I, I would like that person to talk to the people who have to hold the needle every single day and who totally have to kill yeah. adoptable animals in shelters all over the United States and all over the world, who have to look into that animal's eyes who has been languishing in a shelter and say, sorry, we just don't have the resources or the time for you and nobody wanted you. And and then say that we don't have an overpopulation problem. Right, right. We definitely do. Um, so what you're saying is that Ingrid would not be close to this, or PETA as an organization would not be close to opening this debate about uh, about ownership if the oversupply was somehow eradicated. I, I would have to get back to you on that one, but um, I'm sure that we would have a statement on it if that if that situation were to exist. But 
right now it doesn't, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. But we're trying our best to, you know, encourage people to spay and neuter their animals, make sure that they're doing everything they can to combat the overpopulation problem in their own communities, working with city officials on spay and neuter legislation, making that resource available in rural areas. I know we're doing it in our own community, and we're trying to, you know, help other communities make that resource available, and just trying to hit it at the source. As long as we are uh, as long as we continue to breed animals, we are never going to be a no-kill nation. Gotcha. If we want to be a no-kill nation, we need to be a no-birth nation, and that's what we're working toward. So let's cut to play cut number two, please. For these people who blow things up? No, we never have funded terrorists. $45,000 to the guy who firebombed a research facility in Michigan. For his defense, Rodney Coronado. He's blowing buildings up, and you're giving him money. We gave him money for his defense because it is America and you are entitled to a legal defense. And he's a fine young man. Well, that's an interesting point. Um, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to Ashley, I'm going to make a small comment here, in my opinion. Anyway, this is one man's opinion. But until PETA exposed the horrors of laboratory work on animals, I think we were all asleep. Where was HSUS? Where was ASPCA? I think it took PETA to tell the world the secret, of, the secret horror of labs and what went on over there and make, make people realize the implications of their makeup. Um, anyway, I read a statement recently from Ingrid Newkirk that if she knew experimenting on lab animals would cure cancer, she would still be against it. How do you justify that position? Because there are so many other effective, humane methods of testing that are available now, especially with technology the way it is today. And... There have been so many instances that animal testing is not effective and it does not produce accurate results in, in many cases. You know, 93% of the drugs on the market today never make it past human, or I'm sorry, not on the market. 93% of the drugs developed today never make it past human clinical trials because they work in mice and then they don't work in humans. It's because the physiology of animals is very different from that of humans and it's so much better to use live tissue culture samples, to use computer simulations, to use all of the other, you know, resources we have at our disposal because technology has come so far. Why not use the more effective methods than subjecting animals to tests that may or may not work or may seem like they work at the first stages, but then we spend millions of dollars in developing them only to find out that they don't work. I've had family members who have died of cancer. I have an aunt who's a breast cancer survivor. And For their sake, I want scientists to be working on, you know, animal tests, or I'm sorry, testing methods that don't involve animals and that are effective, that they're doing the best work that they possibly can for, you know, my relatives and everybody other, every other person's family members who are suffering from these diseases. They, they owe it to these people who are suffering to, to make the most of their research dollars. So you're kind of saying, um, it's not okay to get rich by stealing someone else's money in a sense. Certainly not, or to make them think that you're using the most effective testing methods when really there there are more effective testing methods out there than than you know drilling into animals' skulls and forcing them to you know live in cages for their entire lives. Yeah, you know, just so you can hope for a certain result. And those PETA undercover videos, if you haven't seen them, boy, you have to go to the PETA, PETA.org website and check out some of the undercover videos from their investigations. It's some of the best work. Yeah, it's, 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 they're the only ones doing yeah, it. And I applaud you guys for, for, for what you've done. You know, that, that, you know, all you've done is expose the truth, and, and that says a lot. In a country where freedom of the press reigns supreme, uh, there's so little the truth sometimes. And it took PETA to come out of the woodwork, and Ingrid to come out of the woodwork and really bring some reality to what's going on. Because otherwise, it was all, you know, everything is fine. Behind closed doors. It's just a dirty little secret. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your makeup is great, and you look wonderful, and who cares about how it got there? So uh, I I applaud you guys. Let me, uh, we're running out of time, Ashley. I'm going to cut to our last last clip in one second. Can we have number four, please? You have Peter Shelters that euthanize lots of animals. Yes, we do. I, I suspect that that's a real problem with your philosophy because you're killing lots of animals. Oh, it's hideous. I mean, you know, we're the people who we don't kill for food, we don't kill for clothing, you name it, we don't. And yet we are in a very rural, poor uh, area of Virginia and the border of North Carolina, and we offer free euthanasia services. 
Uh, Ashley, I think this is the one. Up to now, uh, we've been pretty much in sync. Um, I think uh, Gary has been in sync also. I think this is the one issue that separates the men from the boys and the PETA argument, I believe. Uh, the pet ownership one, that's a philosophical one. And there is, you know, we agree with you. It's such a horrendous situation. But what's happening right now, boots on the ground. What's happening with euthanasia, and, and, and this is something that I really want to delve into. PETA takes in unwanted animals, has no facility to keep, keep them, really, um, and makes no attempt to adopt them out. The organization openly admits to killing thousands of animals every year. Many of them are healthy animals. This seems completely out of whack. I lose it. Lots of other people mm-hmm. lose it. Maybe you can sort of shine a light on us. I appreciate you giving us a chance to to talk about this. Um, first of all, we do make an attempt to a, to get the adoptable animals into a home. We work closely with uh, shelters in the area, and if adoptable animals come into our care, we try to refer them out to other people. So those aren't numbers that show up on our USDA reports, and those aren't numbers that you're going to be able to find on the internet. But we have a lot of animals come through our facility, a lot more than the thousands you see on the on the reports, who actually are referred out. Then you have the people who can't afford to take their animals to the vet to get them euthanized in a painless, dignified way. And, you know, PETA makes makes no bones about it. We're a shelter of last resort, and people in our community know that. And it's sad. You know, the, the number of animals that we see come in who are injured, who have been eaten from the inside out from parasites, animals who have not seen a vet in years, who have been suffering from untreated injuries, who have lived lives of pain and abuse, and they come through our doors, and the best thing that we can do for them, unfortunately, is just to let them go peacefully. And um, we, like Ingrid said in the quote, we do live in a fairly rural, very poor area, and uh, many places in this area will, uh, and in surrounding areas in North Carolina and the like, will, will uh, kill animals with very crude means, um, you know, Certainly not the lethal injection, uh, the the sodium pentobarbital injections that we'll give them. Um, these animals aren't guaranteed a painless release if they go somewhere else. So that's what we do. We we try to make sure that they live out the last few moments of their life in the least least amount of pain possible. Um, we also have community workers who who go out into the field and see just the most horrendous conditions you'll ever see. And I encourage people to go to PETA.org and check out our blog. Um, It's called Why We Euthanize. And you'll see photos of these animals our field workers have found. You know, animals who are frozen to the the floors of their dog houses when when their guardians, quote, guardians, leave them out in the dead of winter. Or animals who, you know, have... 50-pound chains around their neck, um, and they're embedded into embedded their, in their, into their skin. I've, I've, seen, I've seen them. Yeah, they're yeah, they're but, horrendous, but, but, it's, but I think the real and, – and most people would agree that humane euthanasia under terminal illness or suffering um, is, is acceptable. No one likes it, but it's acceptable. But, but it would be wrong to suggest that all of the animals that PETA is killing are um, – Terminally uh, ill I'm or suffering, go right? They're healthy animals. No, I'm going to go a little and, further. And let, than me, that. let me just say that we we have euthanized healthy animals, but again, that's that's a sad reality of the overpopulation problem. Again, you've got we don't have enough homes for these animals. And if you we we, we recently did an undercover investigation at Sacred Vision Animal Center in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, we have the results of that investigation on our website. And I'm sure people have seen it in the news, but. There were over 300 cats in that facility who were stacked on top of each other in cages, living in their own feces. This was purportedly a no-kill center, but were these animals really living? Their their injuries were going untreated. They, you know, they needed vet care. Many of them were suffering from respiratory illness, and yet they were just kept alive because of perhaps someone's guilt, or maybe it made someone feel good to think that they were keeping these animals alive, but this isn't living. This this is torture for these animals. But, and but, rather than see these but animals once, be But once PETA, has shelter, them, once PETA has them, they're not suffering anymore, right? I mean, one would think that once you guys actually have them, they wouldn't be suffering anymore. And unless they have some sort of terminal illness that can't be treated, the the, um, the rural shelters around Virginia, um, are in and of around the area where, um, where the PETA facilities are, have adoption rates much higher um, than PETA does. How, how do you explain that? Well, and like I said, we refer a lot of the adoptable animals out to these shelters, and mm-hmm. we, we try to work with them. But, you know, a lot of times 
you know, the no-kill shelters often turn animals away. Um, no-kill means that they get to a capacity and they, they won't take any more animals. And then the other shelters have a, you know, they have an open-door policy, but they're euthanizing animals as well. So it's just sort of a no-win situation for these animals who no but, one but wants. No let me ask you, Ash, but Ashley, why not just get out of the business of killing animals? I mean, you, you've got one operation um, from the, the USDA numbers, you've, you, you know, 90% of, uh, of, your, uh, of the animals you've taken in. And it's the killed. biggest dividing yeah. point I among animals. Why well, exactly? Also, let me just make it clear that that's not all of the animals we see every year. Last year alone, we spayed and neutered over 10,000 animals. So, you know, I Which think is great. It's a great yeah. service. 700 animals that, that we saw, we saw far more than 792 animals. And those are great things, but I think it's the killing that really yeah, gets why, to people. Why wouldn't you just get them. out of that business and let the shelters do? I mean, the shelters do some, uh, you know, they do all the killing in the country. There's over 2,000 shelters. Do we really need kill- PETA, who's got these great goals, these huge, just gigantic goals for humanity, to be killing the animals? I mean, why even be in that business? There's others that'll do a much better job than you will. Well, if if we're just sending animals off to shelters just to be killed, why not let those shelters use their resources to take care of the animals that they have in their in their care at, at the time? You know, it's a necessary evil. And unfortunately, until people stop buying from breeders, stop buying from puppy mills. Well, and I guess that's the great divide. Stores, I mean, yeah. That's I, the great divide, the people who believe it's a necessary evil and those who and believe it. And you know, nobody hates it more than the person on the other end of that needle. I, I know, I mean, I can tell you that it's, it's heartbreaking. And that's why we work so hard on the other end, you know, making sure that people know how important it is to spay and neuter your animals, making sure how important people know it is to go and adopt from a shelter rather than buying from a pet store because that's what it ends up in. No matter, no matter what happens, no matter where you get your animal from, if you don't get it from a shelter, you're killing an animal in that shelter. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sorry, but we're out of time. We're going to have to go. We really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. Thank for you, Ashley. Me. Thanks very much. Uh, we're going to come. We're going to be coming right back, or do we have uh, Professor Fancion on the phone? I think we have to take a break first. Oh, that's and we'll right. Be right. Okay, back. we'll be right back. When we first started thinking about dogs in danger, we had one overriding thought. Millions of innocent dogs were being killed in shelters each year in this country. And we realized there was no way for the public to know which dogs were going to die and when. That's when the light bulb went on. So we created DogsInDanger.com, where every dog gets a last chance at life. The good public embraced the idea, and more than 45,000 dogs are alive today, bringing joy to families everywhere. In today's economy, it's hard for anyone to part with their money. But Dogs in Danger needs your help to keep saving lives. If you believe, like we do, that needless killing is morally wrong, then do something about it. Please go to DogsInDanger.com and make a tax-deductible donation. Just $18 a month will help us continue our life-saving mission. Donate to DogsInDanger.com and do something good for your soul. Gain a body, save a life. DogsInDanger.com The Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. Honest talk, even when it bites. On 77 WABC. Here are your hosts, Alex and Brenda. Welcome back to the Dogs in Danger Radio Hour. And we're almost out of time. One thing I want to do is mention, and we thought we'd go with Virginia today, New Kent Sheriff's Office Animal Control, New Kent, Virginia, number 14. That's what they're calling her, a sweet young female hound that needs a home. Go to our website and check it out for Virginia. We have Professor Gary Francione. Uh, who is Professor at uh, Rutgers School of Law, um, on the phone, who's been holding because he wanted to comment and follow up after our interview with uh, the PETA representative. We have one minute. Professor, <laughs> Professor you, you It's yours. I'm sorry. Um, okay. I, I, I just think the bottom line is if you represent yourself as an animal rights organization and you're killing healthy animals, you're doing something so fundamentally inconsistent with what you say you believe that you can't blame the public for being confused. I also think, Alex, that the distinction between or the, the controversy about PETA amongst animal advocates is not just about the issue of killing animals, but it's about the issue of PETA's promoting happy exploitation and PETA's conceptualizing the issue as a matter only of suffering. The problem is not simply a matter of suffering and treatment. The problem is a matter of use. Remember something, it's a zero-sum game. Every mm-hmm. dollar we spend, every second of time we spend promoting happy exploitation is a dollar and a, cent, is a, is a, dollar and a moment less that we spend on advocating abolition. Uh, and I really do think that if we put our time into unequivocal, clear, baseline, vegan education, we'll actually build a movement of people who are opposed to animal use 
and not just the question of promoting humane treatment. As far as I'm concerned, because animals are property, humane treatment is a fantasy. It's like humane slavery. It's something that will never, it's a fantasy. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Bottom line, we've had animal welfare for 200 years now. We're using more animals now in more horrific ways than at any time in human history. Pete has got to move off of that mark, move towards a, a completely abolitionist position, but that requires that they adopt abolitionist programs, which they do not have now. All right. Thank you very much, Gary. We appreciate it. We're going to have to get off because the station is going to cut us off in a minute. It's been a fascinating show. I wish we had it's another a great two discussion. Hours to talk thank about you for it. joining us. And to Tori, who's been holding on the 